Hello and welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia Elkhorn. So on tonight's show, we've got a really fantastic local guest coming on to speak to us about a very personal experience. We're talking to Laura Barrett, who is a successful copywriter and content editor for a number of magazines and websites. But after her son's diagnosis of cystic fibrosis, she then turned her talents and her writing skills to support other parents and help raise awareness around cystic fibrosis through her book, and other several uh, national newspaper articles. So we're really delighted to have Laura joining us on The Parents Show. How are you, Laura? I'm good, thank you, and thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did your son get his diagnosis for cystic fibrosis? How did it come about? Uh, So he's our third son, so we have two older boys as well. Um, And then we had Bailey and everything was well, took him home. And when he was four days old, my mum, who's actually a midwife, noticed that some of his sick had a bit of green tinge to it and was a bit worried. Um, So she just recommended that we go back to the hospital and get that checked. And actually, when we did go back to the hospital, it transpired he had a blocked bowel. So the newborn meconium wasn't passing through. Um, and he was becoming quite distended in the stomach. So they actually then blue-lighted us to Great Ormond Street Hospital in London, and they tried to clear the blockage, but they just couldn't. So when he was seven days old, they actually operated on him and created a stoma so that the passage sort of bypassed the bowel um, because he was at risk of a perforated bowel otherwise. And then we were actually in Great Ormond Street Hospital for over two months. We were in there for about nine weeks. And during that time, through lots of different avenues, it became... Uh, they eventually did a genetic test and that's when he was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. That is an incredibly long period of time of uncertainty and <laughs> living away from your other two sons as well. Absolutely, yeah. That must have been quite traumatic. It really was. It was the trauma of sort of everything evolving in the hospital, but also exactly that. I was sort of had completely deserted my other two children So over the course of the nine weeks, I did have to find a way where every so often I did pop back home to see the other two boys and also bring them into the setting and let them meet their brother and see me. And yeah, so it's a bit of a balancing act for sure. But yes, it was a great relief when we actually got him home so we could just all be together if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose a relief to get the diagnosis too, so you could begin to understand what was going on. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if relief is the right word, but I hear what you're saying. It was, um, I think, sort of, it was talked about for so long. And I was sort of very much, no, it's not that. Whereas my husband, Kev, was slightly more resigned to the fact that it could potentially be that. And I think I sort of stuck my head in a bit of a cloud just for survival mode. Yeah, but I think when you go through a diagnosis like that, it's such a process to compute it, accept it, learn to live with it. You go through grieving, which sounds ridiculous, I'm sure, for someone who's lost a child, that sounds absurd, but it's it's sort of a grieving process for everything you thought you were going to have and the life you were going to lead, and then adjusting to that revised you know, future that you've got before you. And I think once you get there, that's fine, but it's a real process to get there. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And I, of course, it is a grieving process because you've you've lost something, haven't you? You've mm. lost what you imagined your life would be like. But you've taken your experience and you've put it together and you've written a book to help support parents. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, if you'd have, Bailey's four, now and if you'd said to me four years ago that I would have written the book that I'd be here now talking to you I think I would have thought (laughs) you were crazy because I just I couldn't even say the word cystic fibrosis I couldn't even tell someone what happened without literally having a breakdown so but it wasn't so it wasn't anything I set out to do I wasn't one of those very open people with it I was you know it took me a long time to get to where I am an awfully long time and it took a lot of work And so it wasn't something I intended to do, but actually it happened by default because my sister had bought me a notebook and pen when we were first admitted to hospital. And just through that, I then journaled every night. So every night I would sit down and just use my journaling as a way 
to compute everything that was evolving in hospital, to, you know, vent my thoughts and feelings, to just try and rationalize everything that was happening to us. And it just became almost, without my knowing it, became a slight coping strategy. And from there, when I got home, I sort of continued to journal. And it was when we went into the lockdown in January 2020, I was like, I'm not coming out of another lockdown without having achieved something. (laughs) Even though I was sort of homeschooling two children, trying to juggle a toddler at the same time. I was like, I need to do something. So I just spent the evenings and weekends basically writing out my journal, just typing it all up. And before I knew it, it sort of evolved into this big, long, you know, sort of word document. And from there, I just thought, if I publish this as a book, what purpose is this serving? By me sharing my story, if I want to do that, what purpose am I serving to other people? And there wasn't really anything other than perhaps, you know, a potential awareness around CF. But what I wanted to do was add on support guides within the book for other parents. I wanted to help other people because I just was so blindsided by the whole experience. I didn't know what CF was. I didn't know how you got it. I didn't know anything about it. And equally also just that sort of complete isolation and loss of control that you feel at that time. And I want, I just thought if there's anything I could do to even help just a few families through that process, whether it's a diagnosis with cystic fibrosis or any medical diagnosis or equally just a long hospital admission with a baby, I just thought if I could create some support guides with the key you know, sort of tools that they need to survive that time. Um, so I actually, some of them I've written myself and some of them I've actually collaborated with the specialists that helped me during my time. So I actually had uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, when I came out of Great Ormond Street, because again, I was just really struggling to get my head around it all. And it was the most wonderful, you know, and useful experience. And I actually collaborated with my CBT lady to write a coping strategies um, support chapter. And then also while I was at Great Ormond Street, I wasn't allowed to feed Bailey, but I really wanted to breastfeed him when I could because that's what I'd done with other children, my other two boys. And so I actually expressed for over two months and managed to breastfeed again. And I actually donated a lot of my milk to the neonatal uh, milk bank because Bailey couldn't ever have it. And so again, I worked with the expressing lady, the, the feeding specialist, who helped me express during that time. So there's some real sort of practical, useful information. And then other things, it's more sort of just from my own personal standpoint, like the use of journaling and how that can help you cope, you know, how to cope with your guilt and manage your guilt at such a time and, you know, just things like that. So there's lots of useful chapters within the second part of the book that will help other parents through this process, basically. So that's sort of how the book evolved. So it just kind of evolved quite organically, really, I think. What a incredibly constructive and positive outcome from your experience like to put that together and and turn it into something that other parents can use i think that's that's really wonderful laura and thanks thank you for doing that um so tell us the name of your book and how how um, our listeners can buy it sure so it's called unconditional love and it's an empowering guide to accepting your child's diagnosis, managing long hospital stays and building your new self by me, Laura Barrett. And the book's available on Amazon and 20% of the profits actually go to the Cystic Fibrosis Trust. So, yeah, so it's sort of, you know, very much sort of giving back to that, that research and development behind CF. Um, and then with the other profits, I actually buy in some books which I gift to the hospitals so that they've got them as a resource for parents coming in if they you know want it that's incredibly incredibly kind and i'm sure the hospital are so grateful because nhs staff have 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 done so much and for your experience to have been through the pandemic as well has must have made it even more challenging but for i'm sure it's incredibly helpful for them to have that kind of resource to hand in hospitals because they're busy doing the work yes treating people and saving lives Mm, absolutely absolutely and I don't know how people have managed during the pandemic in terms of when we were in hospital we had so many guests and things and I do often think like gosh if we'd have gone in during the pandemic and hadn't been able to have people come and visit it would have you know made things so much more challenging and talk to us about how cystic fibrosis is in your family now you you Mm. you spade for so you've had quite a journey mm. yeah so he had um he had an absolutely torrid start there's no denying that um horrific start <laughs> a 
but um yeah he's Take four your now time, he's four now and he's just amazing I think like I say he has two older brothers and they're 10 and 8 so he's just constantly trying to keep up with them he's just yeah he's just the life and soul really but he's well now he's never he's not been admitted back into hospital he's um had a few infections but just needed some oral antibiotics so I think for as much as he had a rough start he's actually had a really good sort of you know four years thereafter and we've you know he's he's stayed exceptionally well so I think you know I think even when he sees his CF care team at gosh he um they sort of can't believe that I don't think they even foresaw he would have such a positive few years after his um, time in hospital. So that's been amazing. And I think as well, as parents, you sort of, you change that. I suppose it's how you are as well. We're sort of, Kev's heavily involved in sport. So he make you know, our boys are really sporty anyway. So Bailey's really active because he does so much sport, which is so important for people living with CF. So I think sort of put all that together. And, and I, but I think one of the things that, we try to do is very much, you know, we don't sort of, it hasn't overtaken our lives. Like, yes, I've written this book and yes, we have Bailey and, you know, he has certain, you know, sort of requirements, but it's very much it sort of, we live our life and we fit CF into that rather than we live with CF and we fit life around that. And that's how I wanted to be. I didn't want this thing just completely taking over. I didn't want Bailey treated any differently to the other boys. And he does everything that they do within reason, obviously, like, I just, um, yeah, I just tried to treat him exactly as I would have done the others. So, yeah, so it's amazing. And I think we've managed to get it to a point so far where we can just carry on, you know, relatively normally. But I think that's been helped by the fact he hasn't been in and out of hospital again. So, but the thing is with CF, everyone's experiences and conditions are so different. So, you know, that's just our own personal experience. But you might, you know, many people do have children where they're regularly going in for hospital admissions to get IV antibiotics. But fortunately, Bailey's stayed really well. So hopefully that remains. You've, you've painted a, a beautiful picture of your family life with Bailey running around with his two brothers and sport playing such an important role in your lives. And it's it's just lovely to hear. And I'm sure it's very kind of very supportive and encouraging to other parents out there who have children with CF or indeed other similar similar conditions. And I think you sharing your experience also of nine nine weeks you said in mm. in Great Ormond Street before Bailey got his diagnosis, sharing your tips and your coping mechanisms for that, I think is is incredibly valuable because I think a lot of people power through that period. They bury their heads. They just don't want to think back. They don't want to go through it again. They don't share it. And actually there's a lot to be learned from it. There's a, a lot to be learned from each other in those in those circumstances. Mm, definitely, definitely. And I think that's it. I it was just equipping people with you know, certain tools or thoughts or, you know, little things you can do to try and normalize that time somewhat or regain some element of control. Like, you know, sort of some of the things I mentioned in my book is just taking in like a pair of trainers so you can go for a run or a walk or taking in your own coffee cup or, you know, just taking your lap, I don't know, just anything to try and help normalize the most abnormal out of control situation. Um, Because you can't parent your child, you can't feed them, you can't, you know, bath them you can't do anything unless you know the doctor or nurse kind of it tells you you know you can and so I think you know especially for people who don't have other children if that is your first experience of being a parent it's just a a million miles away from anything you ever dreamt up in your head when you were carrying your child absolutely and that's what I was thinking I mean it it will definitely have served you well to already have two children have Mm. been through the process to have some idea of what's normal and to know that this isn't actually a normal experience it, it it's um it must be even harder for first time moms yeah definitely and i think in a way as a first time parent i would imagine you could sort of hovel up in that world in that bubble but actually because i had the other two boys at home going to school having their sports day on summer holidays i had to bring myself back to the real world every so often and i had to drag myself out of those four walls and stand up and be the regular mother that they expected me to be from you know before and I think that was probably at the time although it was hard it probably was a slight savior because 
I just I, I had to you know sort of come back into the real world and so yeah it's tricky and, and I had to do things like order the food shop to make sure everyone had food at home while I was you know sleeping on a plastic mattress by in the hospital bed you, you know it just it, I mean and they were worlds away they were just you know it was surreal it was very surreal I can imagine and I would say it'll it'll take years to unpick that experience mm. for you and for other parents who go through through that kind of experience and as you say having having that kind of surreal experience pulling yourself out coming back to the real world and playing a very very different role to the one that you're playing in hospital where mm. you have no control you you you're a bystander in yeah. ways yeah. you know which is it, it feels like a very unkind word to use about it but you're you're very no, powerless. You are. you're absolutely right you are yeah. So we have a, a wonderful annual event called Cystic Fibrosis Week. Laura, can you tell us a bit about it and what you're doing? Sure. So, so, yeah, Cystic Fibrosis Week runs from the 13th to the 17th of June. Um, and the Friday is actually uh, Wear Yellow Day. So the CF logo is yellow, for those that don't know. So everyone wears yellow and it's like a fundraiser. But throughout the week, people hold fundraising events and things like that. Um, so obviously, like I say, my book, um, 20% of the proceeds go to the CF Trust anyway. And actually this year, there's about 70 mums two CF children who are doing a collective fundraiser who have trained 20 minutes every day to replicate the daily physio that's required of the people living with CF. So um, we've been doing like a big fundraiser for that. And that is the ultimate day. The end of that is the end of CF week as well. So we've raised thousands for that as well. So that's great. So there's lots and lots of different activities happening. And I think it's to build awareness, it's to raise funds to still go into the research for the treatments for cystic fibrosis, because although there are treatments out there, there is no cure. And so yeah, it's a really important week for the trust and for, you know, all the parents and the people, you know, touched by cystic fibrosis, which is a sort of a cruel condition. And uh, the idea of doing 20 minutes a day to mirror the therapy that the children need to mm. go through is such such a lovely, thoughtful connection. Yes. Um, and I, I hope you do raise raise a lot of money throughout Cystic Fibrosis and, and with your book. And I just want to mind. So it's Laura Barrett, Unconditional Love. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, yes. And 20% of the proceeds go to the Cystic Fibrosis Trust. Yes. Laura, before we let you go, it's, I mean, it's been so lovely talking to you and thank you for sharing your story with us I, I wonder is there any kind of tips or tricks you'd share with with parents who were going through a similar experience that you think is important for them to know yeah I think well I mean so much <laughs> uh, I think definitely one of my biggest things and you know that's what I've dedicated a chapter in the book is journaling I think if you're going through something that just seems insurmountable incomprehensible just take to writing, you know, it doesn't need to be legible, it doesn't need to be correct, it just needs just literally brain dump all your thoughts and feelings. Pen and paper, I always think is best. But you know, you could, I suppose, type it into a, you know, into your notes on your phone, or, you know, lots of different options. But so I think definitely that is absolute must for me. And I think, you know, so many parents sort of, are sort of so guilt stricken, when you obviously receive a diagnosis, you're meant to protect your children and keep them safe and you know you can't do anything about it so I think it's just finding a way to manage and cope with your guilt and I think you need to accept that you feel guilty you, it, to fight it is so exhausting and I think that you know it's human to feel guilt it's, it's a very humane feeling and I think ultimately you feel guilt and sometimes the only thing is to get rid of that guilt is for someone for you to apologize to someone and someone say oh it's okay like that's what guilt is and obviously you can't really do that so as I suggest in the book you could sort of write a letter to your child sort of apologizing I suppose almost you know just to again it's just to get it all off your chest but I think you just what I found with the guilt was it just over time as I created new happy memories and realized we could still live a beautiful life the sort of guilt diminished and, and the sort of happiness returned and it sort of over the years and it was years I got to a point where you know yes if I still sit down and think about it I still feel guilty but I'm sort of you know it's not sort of my overriding emotion every day so that's a massive one and I think if you're in hospital with your child now or one pending 
I think you need to just take in stuff like to create it like whether it's your own pillow or your own blanket or your own mug your running gear your music whatever it is your your nice wash stuff just to try and make you feel that bit better about the whole situation but there's a whole list and actually in the book what I actually did was why I made very good friends with one of the mums while I was at Great Ormond Street and so randomly she lives in St Albans so we became very good friends in the hospital, but also, you know, we have remained friends thereafter. And we created, we co-wrote a chapter about, you know, hospital admissions and what to take and how to manage them and things. So there's some really great information on that as well. And she has five children. So really, she really was juggling a lot when, you know, she was in there. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much, there's so much, you know, and I think it's so personal as well. That's the other thing. And everyone's experience is different. So, Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I feel the poignancy in, in everything you're telling us and, you know, collaborating with others, with friends, with experts, people who can really make this book as useful as possible for as many people as possible, because it's invaluable to somebody who's who's got a child with cystic fibrosis, but also other other conditions definitely, as well. Definitely. I think for any reason, you know, you're in hospital or any diagnosis, the, the principles are the same so that's why the book is for everyone it's not you know just it's, in, it's obviously surrounded by CF because that was our experience but it's not just for those you know in the cystic fibrosis world it's for yeah anyone really with a medical diagnosis or a, a hospital stay for their little ones and it's lovely to hear that you've you've built a community you've tapped into the cystic fibrosis trust community hospital community as well how important has that been for you Laura yeah I think the CF community is exceptionally strong it it was there ready-made when you know Bailey was diagnosed now I have to be honest I really didn't get involved in it very early I wasn't in a place where I could I didn't want to I didn't follow anyone on social media I couldn't look at anything I couldn't read anything I mean honestly when I see some of the parents how they are on social media I admire them to be honest because they're leaps and bounds ahead of where I was at that point at the age of their child and I just think my goodness like you you're just amazing because that just wasn't me I completely repelled everything I removed myself from that community I I wasn't in it at all I didn't even probably know it existed to be honest but now like I say it's there and it is a really strong community and I think you get that with you know in the pockets of different diagnosis I think that that is there because it's a very supportive community because maybe there's not many of you or, you know, you just have that complete empathy and understanding. And I do think that I don't think you can really understand what a parent is going through unless you've personally been in hospital with a child or had that same diagnosis because it's so inexplicable. And that's not that anyone's fault. They shouldn't have to understand and you wouldn't want them to understand but I do think that's why those communities are so strong. So yeah, so I've met some lovely people. But I'll be honest with you, even today, I dip in and out of that very much. So like, I have to be in a place where I can take it. And if it becomes too consuming for me, I have to sort of, you know, step out. Because I just think, yeah, I just think it can become too much sometimes. For, For me, everyone's different. Absolutely. And everybody's journey is different, as you said. Yeah. But I mean, knowing that it's okay to dip in and out or indeed mm. not, not mm. um, use, use communities like that to their, to their fullest Definitely. potential is, is a choice that everybody should, you know, listen yes. to their own selves. And that's what I, I hear a lot in what you've told us today is to listen to yourself and, and, be be honest with yourself about what works for you and what doesn't work for you. But yeah. To, bear that in mind to 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 get through yeah definitely and that's what I really sort of try and emphasize throughout the book is it's you know that's not verbatim it's this is just what I think or what I do or what I might suggest but you know there, there is no hard and fast rule to this there's no hard and fast rule to parenting you know we're all just making it up as best we can as we go along and it's the same when you are in this situation and exactly what you say like what works for one won't work for the other you know I didn't use social media at all at the beginning. I didn't say anything. I didn't, no one even knew we were in hospital. But then there's other people that, you know, through probably a cathartic, you know, sort of tool they share on social. Now, I've shared in a book, not on social. So it's just a different platform. It's just a different medium. 
but yeah, there is no hard and Everyone is different. And I think as well, because with CF, it's not like a, right, okay, so one year you're probably going to get this. Everyone's just such a different experience. I've had to be really careful in sort of how I've said things and what I've suggested because, you know, you could have a child pass away still today. That that could be, or they might live till they're, you know, 50, 60. You'd, it's so hard to sort of know with CF. Absolutely. Laura, thank you so much for joining us on The Parents Show. And, and I hope everybody who's listening will reach out on get on Amazon. It'll be available perhaps in local bookstores soon to yes, um, get unconditional love. 20% goes to Cystic Fibrosis Trust. And Laura Barrett, thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Thank and you. Um, we wish you only the very best. Lovely. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia El Khoury and tonight I think we're going to touch on a subject that's very, very relevant, important to a lot of parents, which is secondary schools. And really, we couldn't be in safer hands tonight because we're speaking to the head teacher of St. Albans Girls School, Margaret Chapman, and Tamsin Holland, who's the assistant head to Key Stage 3 and who also leads Transition. So, Margaret, Tamsin, thank you so much for joining us on The Parents Show this evening. Evening, Lydia. Good to be here again. Thank you for having us. It's it's always a pleasure. And whenever a topic crops up like this, when particularly when um, parents come to us and say, OK, transition to secondary school, can you get me some advice? We know we know who to ask on the show to give us a, a, a clear guide on what to do. I think it doesn't need to be as scary as it sometimes is made out to be. I think um, it is a wonderful opportunity, but it's a transition time. And sometime a transition time in anybody's life, then it can be more scary. But actually, we are very, very used to supporting our families through this process. I think the biggest change really is that in primary schools, you know, as a parent, you're going up to the gate and actually through that gate, at secondary school, you're very much at the gate and then the gate is closed, um, you know, physically as much as metaphorically. But what we want to do is make sure that parents feel very much part of the secondary community. Sometimes, a lot of the time, you know, children in primary schools, they love coming up and seeing their parents at the end of the day. Actually, if you have secondary age children and you go and give them, want to give them a hug at the end of the day, they absolutely think, please, no, do not embarrass <laughs> me in this way. And I can say that probably out of personal experience as well as professional <laughs> experience in that manner. But the key is to know the expectations as a parent and to give as much confidence to our wonderful young people that it will be okay. I think sometimes the anticipation that builds up over the summer holidays, that six-week period, can be too much. And I think it's really important that in the July time, where there's opportunities to meet new schools across Hertfordshire, to have that secondary transfer day, to understand the communication links within secondary schools. And it's about giving reassurance to young people that actually, you know, just because you know your primary school, you've been there, you know everybody in there, the world is not going to end. In fact, actually, the world is going to be opened up even more. And it's a really exciting opportunity in the lives of our young people. So what I'm hearing is instead of anxiety it should be ex excitement and instead of worry and concern it's actually a new opportunity and a, and a bigger and more exciting opportunity than primary school has probably been it is really i think that you know when you're in a primary school and you have one class teacher and you who is delivering a huge range of subjects it is amazing the talent that our primary school teachers deliver that's be that wonderful content and then in secondary school you have different teachers you have different opportunities and you can deepen that that subject knowledge across a huge range of subjects that you've had the great privilege of having the foundation in primary school settings but it is also about being courageous about being open-minded and about embracing that change rather than thinking oh my gosh it's going to be an awful negative experience and I think there are some basic things that parents can do. I remember in my own circumstances, you know, my husband went with our daughter on the bus to, to just give the, the route a go. He wasn't going to go with her every day, but that 
that amount of reassurance in the middle of the summer holidays. And actually, he took a day off on her first day in school, in secondary school, um, which is quite a big thing to take her um, on the bus. And she got to the bus stop and said, it's okay, Dad, I can do this on my own. So, you know, our our young people are incredibly resilient. And I think equally, it's really important that if you have any anxieties as a parent, that you know how to communicate with the school so that there are, I have a great saying for me is we don't want any surprises um, so that we can support our young people in the best possible way. And one of those key areas is if you are concerned as a parent, then get in touch with the school. They can allay your fears, allay your concerns really easily. And something that may be huge to you actually is something that experience tells us we can work through and that's not denigrating and that's not you know sort of taking away from some real challenges that I know some young people have however it's about how we work together to put that next stage of the learning journey into secondary education because actually you know we have a great privilege in secondary schools the foundation of learning has happened at primary school and yet when they leave us they're adults going into the world of work and life ahead of them. And so we want to make sure that we've done the best possible foundation, building on that best possible foundation from primary schools. It just I, uh, the positivity that you're exuding from it is quite infectious. And I'm sure children and parents listening will will pick up on that. And indeed, it, it is an exciting time and it is an exciting transition. And it's often an opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself because you've yeah. you might be pigeonholed in in primary school and this is an opportunity try new subjects try new hobbies try new sports and just reinvent yourself you do indeed i mean we have a, an opportunity for our young people the second week into the new term they take a part in what we call a freshers fair we have a lots of different opportunities of clubs and activities and they we say that students in year seven should sign up to Now, they obviously want to sign up to about 200, as you would do at Freshers Fair. So we do limit it to two because otherwise they they do need to have a bit of a break as well. But it's a great way to get to know people. And I think that's the key thing, isn't it? It really, we believe that if young people are happy and feel safe, then they will flourish. And that is about setting the scene for making sure we can help with friendships, we can help develop new friendships. At Stags, we have nearly 80 feeder primary schools. So we're very well placed to know that not all of our young people will know each other. And therefore, we've put almost a month of those transitional activities in September, we even start with saying there's no home learning for that first month as well. That goes down very well, may I say now. I bet it does. Those are the anxieties. Those are the things that really become a blocker and can become really worrying, particularly over that summer period. And we actually do run a summer school, and I know many schools do, and Tamsin's running the summer school this year, so it may be helpful to understand how a summer school is used to help that transition process. Yeah, because it's a relatively new idea, isn't it? It is. And I think it's been used in different ways. So during the pandemic, for example, um, that was a way of um, accessing and and being more available and more open um, to more young people. Um, But it really does target perhaps those students who might find that transition more tricky um, and gives them an opportunity to get to know their school environment better. Yeah, so I was just going to echo that and say that it is an opportunity for students to further familiarise themselves with the school setting, get a feel for the school that they're going to and really um, embed themselves within that environment usually on a, on a smaller scale as well. So um, they're targeted students, whether that be from information we've gathered from primary schools or the request of parents or any additional information that we have on them to ensure that they're able to do it on a smaller scale and then it becomes less daunting. Um, and as Margaret has said about the anxiety, it's, it's about trying to find those solutions rather than just thinking, oh, I'm, I'm very, very nervous and allowing that to take over. It's about steps that schools can take in order to ensure that that transition is as smooth and effective as possible. 
one thing our students always say is they worry about getting lost and the parents worry about getting lost. And I say, honestly, really don't worry. Within the first few weeks that I came here, I remember standing in our quad and some year seven said to me, Mrs. Chapman, can we help you? Are you lost? You know, these, the young people, they learn their environment very easily. And we always have, and many, again, many schools do this. We have year eight mentors who take the year seven students around from one class to another. Again, it's that settling in, it's dispelling those worries that can become much worse if we don't say, look, it's fine, you won't get lost, we'll look after you. And that means that that worry that sort of can grow actually gets dispelled quite quickly. And we haven't lost a year seven yet. They've all made it safely home in the first <laughs> on the first day. Yeah, but that but that reassurance is lovely. And it is lovely to do it maybe when the school is not at full pelt, you know, so that, you know, it, the school is yours for a little bit. So it, it's it's a lovely idea. We also have students, all schools in Hertfordshire, have an agreed transition day um, where your, your six students go into their um, secondary school, and that's in June. And it means that year six join from all of the different schools, and it works really effectively. And they come in and do activities, you know, sort of team building activities and icebreakers. Um, and again, that works very effectively to make sure families know, you know, where to get the bus. How am I going to journey home? How am I going to meet my oldest? sibling what am I going you know the, the very practical things how am I going to get my lunch where do I eat my lunch those sorts of things because actually again going back to it if young people feel confident in that way they'll engage with their learning but if they don't know where they're going to have some you know a tuck shop or lunch if they don't know where the, the you know the bathroom is or whatever they don't know where they're going to meet somebody to take them home safely that's what can get in the way of them engaging with their different subjects that they'll be doing across the school. Absolutely. It's it's fundamental, really. It and is indeed. In Stags, do when when they do the is it class swap day or, or Yes, yeah. Um do they, do they find out then who's in their class or do they know in advance? So they know it slightly in advance. So we do, um, we have a parents' information evening, which is a sort of, actually, it's coming up very soon, it is isn't it? Soon, yes. yes. <laughs> um, and we've got our spread over two days, over two half-year groups um, at a time. So the purpose of the transition evening, which is where we have families coming with um, their children, is to get to know their form tutor, to um, get to know where their form room is. They meet their form for the first time and really get to know the feel of the school that's going to be theirs for the next seven years. It's yeah. really exciting and it's a really positive experience. And also to talk a little bit about the curriculum but more specifically about the extracurricular opportunities and perhaps some of the house events and the fun events that we do that makes the school the community that it actually is. And then two weeks later, that's when the students come in for the transition day and spend a whole day here on their own, having peeled their parents away from them. <laughs> and normally it's the parents who are more upset than the students, I have to be honest. And we're having to sort of reassure the parents that it's OK, because actually they normally, in the vast, vast majority of cases, have the most wonderful day. Um, and it's us as parents who walk away thinking, oh, they didn't even say goodbye. And it's, you know, in a way, that's what we want it to be, that we see our young people fly and flourish. And, and that's the greatest joy of this of this role, really, in school. And as parents, you know, we have to resist that temptation for anxiety. And we have to kind of model the resilience we want our kids to have, isn't it? particularly at junctures like that. As hard as it is, we absolutely do need to make sure that they don't see our worry and our anxiety on themselves. Yeah, definitely hard though. Yeah. We've recently been doing the primary school visits as well. So an opportunity to get in and see our next year seven cohort. And again, give them the opportunity to ask us any questions you know, way in advance of even those transition evenings and the transition day, they're able to kind of put their mind at ease with, with some of those things as well, which is which is really good. So after they've received that letter of offer, then we make sure we go into each of the primary schools. So we introduce ourselves. So there's a named person that the students know comes from our school. And in fact, all secondaries, as far as I'm aware, do this as well. But again, it's that initial contact. It's that real person, that face-to-face -face that builds the confidence for our young people. 
It's such a lovely idea and everything you've described, it's it's kind of beautifully staggered, you know, going in after the offer letter. Then you've got the the evening in the school, then the class swap day and then a summer school. It really is so kind of little and often and enough to build momentum up to when they start in September. It, it's just so well thought through. Yes, it's really, really important that as far as possible, our young people feel very much part of the school community from their starting point, from that letter of offer in March to say you are now a, you know, a stag student in our case, and you'll be with us for the next seven years and look how we can grow together. And I think that's really, really important. We also do a transition trip. So uh, we have an overnight camping trip that's a joy, um, lots of fun. And, you know, again, that's that team building element as well. So the transition isn't just leave primary, go to secondary. It's actually a whole host of planned activities taking us through to about October half term, where it is very much about building the confidence and resilience to some extent of our young people. And then, you know, then sort of we we really sort of kickstart into the, the focus more on the curriculum because then young people feel settled. Wonderful. And we'll, we'll just take a little break now and come back and join us in the second part of our interview with Tamsin Holland, who's the assistant head of Key Stage 3 and leads transition at Stags, and Margaret Chapman, the head of Stags. So welcome back to the Parents Show on Radio Viral of 92.6 FM. We're delighted to have Margaret Chapman, who's the head teacher of Stags in St. Albans, and Tamsin Holland, who is the assistant head of Key Stage 3 and also leads Transition. And that is the topic of our show tonight, secondary school transition. So now one of the questions I have from parents is SATs. So they're done. They're dusted. The anxiety is finished. Does it make a big difference? Do you use them? Do secondary schools need them? Well, really interesting question. And um, we do use the information that comes from them. But also in Hertfordshire, we have an agreed um, information that comes from primary schools into secondary schools, so that a young person isn't defined by just those SATs. And I think that's really, really important to offer reassurance. A young person is defined by the whole of their personality as well. Um, And so we look at the work that they've produced, so perhaps a best piece of writing, best piece of of mathematics or numeracy work and uh, the key stage two figure outcome is a number at a snapshot at a period of time it should not define a child but it is a if you like a benchmark and we use data in schools but also nationally to actually start to think about okay what's the most likely outcome as young people progress through secondary education so we have to have some sort of benchmark so it is a useful benchmark but please don't think it's the only piece of information that we use that would not be fair it is a one you know year six is a snapshot but it is used and the data is used but it is what we say to young people is that's not a ceiling that defines you actually that's something that you can build upon and you can build upon those skills and experiences but they are it is relevant but at the moment our examination system I've you know started examinations for the last few weeks for your GCSE and A-level students at the moment our English examination system is focused upon students sitting two, three-hour examinations at the, to show their, what they've achieved at the end of a course. One thing the SATs do is provide a, if you like, a snapshot in time that reduces and diminishes the fear factor of examinations as you go through secondary school as well. And so it is literally a, a perhaps a stepping stone, but a child should never be defined by them, no. I can hear a collective sigh of relief across St. Albans <laughs> from parents who are just going, thank God. Well, anyway, we got yeah. through them. Yeah. But uh, that's that's really good to know and really, really heartening. So um, would you say there's any preparation needed 
for children to go to secondary school, apart it's from buying nice the uniform. We used to have a pencil case and a stationary bin. <laughs> that most of our students really enjoy. And in fact, over 30 years worth, I think the greatest joy about going into secondary school is everybody showing me their new pencil case. But, you know, on a serious note, I think equally, um, all schools provide an equipment list. And equally, even um, thinking about uniform, for example, that we normally provide a huge long list of uniform, but it's really important to know you don't need everything. And so whoever your uniform supplier is, actually look and think, what are the key items we need? You know, we hear a lot in the news about the cost of uniform and some that it, it, it can be huge. And so it's balancing up what, does, what is needed. And in many schools, they have secondhand uniform sales, they have other alternatives. And so being sensible about how you can look at, you know, perhaps spreading the cost of uniform can be useful. Um, equipment is is great, but look at it. Many schools now have um, a blended learning approach. And so more and more young people are bringing their own devices into school from year seven. And so the days of the textbook and the, you know, sort of having everything on paper really are gone. Um, we very much use Google Classroom and a Google baseline for information sharing. And if that's with information to parents, so they can see and track home learning. So I suppose, in a way gone are the days where you had a, a homework planner that was buried at the bottom of your child's bag and you had to sort of unburrow it amongst everything else that was in there and so it is but it's about understanding and talking about what is needed and what's home learning I think if you continue to talk to your child on a daily basis and say, let's have a look at the home learning. What have you got planned? Have you got your bag organized for the night before? Those little things, if you keep doing them, you've done them all the time in primary school. If you keep doing them into secondary school, they make a massive difference. That's a great tip. Really, really helpful, really helpful to hear. And uh, they're very useful to parents. What about students? What what tips would you say for getting prepared? I think organisation is key. I think making sure that you know what lessons you have each day, packing your bag the night before, making sure you've got the right equipment. Equally, you don't have to carry half of your house on your back. So have you got a <laughs> locker? You know, do you, you need yeah. to be sensible about your organisation and planning but enjoy it. Don't look too deeply for something. We will help you walk through the transition. And that's what we're there for. And so I think it is don't overthink and over worry. Actually, it'll be a wonderful experience if you just allow yourself to enjoy it. That's lovely. Really, really wise, wise words. And are there are there common worries that you you come across? And do you have any suggestions about how just not to fret about them or I'm sure you must have you must see them as um as a year seven head yeah I think I think Margaret touched on some of them at the beginning anyway and the the anxiety of of friendship groups and the anxiety of moving around the school obviously in primary school you're very much in in one classroom with with one teacher and I think it is just about really our students immersing themselves in the day-to-day -day runnings and life of being at school and also taking on board and utilizing all of the enrichment opportunities that there are within schools and you know they may differ slightly between schools but you know on the most part there are multiple different opportunities for students that extend beyond sport and for our students to take on leadership opportunities and 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 things like that but i think you know that also supports with the anxiety of of friendship groups and 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 that comes up quite frequently and indeed of course and particularly i think with girls the issue of friendship groups probably is a little bit more at the forefront yeah. Yeah. but just yeah. Not to worry. I mean, it is a great experience. Like you said, I think you said 80 primary schools feed in. Yes, this year we've got 80 feeder primaries. Up to, previously, it's been sort of um, between 67 and 69, but this year it's, it's 80. 
I think also another challenge which grows or looms larger than it needs to be is is home learning. You know, the how much time do I need to spend? We give really, really clear guidance. And we've got a wonderful phrase in our sixth form we use, be brave, not perfect. And I think sometimes, you know, it is about developing, it, it's okay not to be perfect and not to get everything right. And as we're using that as a sixth form method, uh, mantra, I'm sure you appreciate that that's something we're still working on it's a job in progress and um, because we none of us like not getting it quite right but actually that's the greatest way that we learn and I think not worrying about being told off not worrying about being in the wrong place at the wrong time we're here to help and we're here to support and we're here to make sure that you really quickly become part of the school community and that's the most important message and and I think that where there is over worry then we want to hear from those parents so that we can do something additionally to support that. Um, and, and usually that works very effectively. It sounds like your school is really listening and, and really cares. And any last final tips from you, Tamsin, for parents or students who are listening in? I think as well, just to add on another point is it's utilising the people in the building as well. And, you know, that could be your peers. It's it's at every level and also the pastoral support systems that are in place, utilising your heads of years or your directors of learning and then the senior members of staff that are linked to the year group as well. And having that approach from, from all of the stakeholders, from the students, the parents and the staff to ensure that every child is, is supported. Um, again as as Margaret mentioned before but just really make the most of all of the transition opportunities that both students and parents have from the primary school visits the information evenings the transition days is to really go in there and and grab it with both hands and it will leave you in the best possible position come September when you know these young people are officially starting at their schools Sounds like just a wonderful adventure. It is indeed. I mean, the only thing I'd probably add is that enjoy these last few weeks in your primary school. You've had a wonderful time, have wonderful memories, make sure that you keep those really great memories, but also look forward, look forward to your future, look forward to the next seven years of your learning journey when you will be in a secondary school that will see you move from being, you know, a child to an adult. Um, And that is a very, very exciting time in a young person's life. And know that as a secondary school, we are very, very well placed to support all of the richness that adolescence brings. We couldn't end on a more positive note. Margaret Chapman and Tamsin Holland, thanks a million for joining us on The Parents Show and uh, for all the great advice. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you.